thrilled to be here. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Gene pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. He's a sports editor. Great. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in this profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Morning, happy Sunday. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. Great to be back with you here for another week. And we've got a lot to talk about because it was yet another busy week in Chicago sports on multiple fronts. And also, just not to bury the lead here, it is Masters Sunday. I have that up on my TV right here. And I believe Dustin Johnson's still in the lead at Augusta National. It's the final round, which is weird to say. On November 15th, but it's 2020. You never know what's going to happen. Which, speaking of you never know what's going to happen, just want to throw this out there at the beginning of the show, just in case something happens. It's pretty windy down by me right now, and it's windy enough where we worry about losing power. So if the power does go out during the broadcast while I'm talking, don't be alarmed. It's probably on my end. Keep an eye on my Twitter. I'll tweet out if anything goes wrong. But so far, we're doing all right. I just want to throw that out there because, again, it's 2020. You never know what's going to happen. And that came back around this week because earlier this week I was playing basketball and I checked my phone and there's an alert saying that White Sox manager Tony LaRussa had been charged with DUI. And the charge came out a day before the White Sox hired him. And a White Sox spokesman said that the Sox knew of the charge. Do with that what you will. So that's been interesting, seeing the reaction on social media. I'll dive into that. And some good news for the White Sox. Jose Abreu won MVP. Felicidades, Jose. Congratulations, Jose. That's well-deserved. Would have had my vote. Obviously, I didn't have a vote because I don't cover baseball. But that was some good news for the White Sox this week. And on the football side, the Bears have lost three straight because it's the Bears. And big news came out Friday that Matt Nagy is giving up the play calling. He's turning it over to Bill Lazor, at least for Monday night's game against the Vikings, which that's been a long time coming. You remember my rant. I went out a couple weeks ago about the play calling. Well, now Nagy's finally giving it up, which is a good thing, hopefully. And there's also some evidence that Bill Lazor's play calling might actually help a guy like Nick Foles, and that's from uh, Mark Potash at the Sun Times. I'll read that tweet in a little bit. And the NBA draft's coming up on Wednesday. Another name is coming up in the NBA mock drafts for the, for the Chicago Bulls. Again, the Bulls have the fourth pick. It's weird saying the Bulls don't have the seventh pick, but they've got the number four pick in this draft. And I'll dive into all that in the second half hour because the first half hour is going to be taken up here in a couple, min- in a couple of minutes with an interview with a very special guest, David Hall of 670 The Score, was kind enough to join me for a conversation on Friday. And I want to just 
throw this out there too. So he and I spoke Friday afternoon about an hour before Matt Nagy announced he was giving up the play calling. So that's not in the interview. We do address the play calling issues, but it's all, it kind of applies now that Nagy's given up the play sheet. And I think it's a really interesting conversation. I'm really glad David could spare a few minutes to come on and talk. And we talked for about 20 minutes about the White Sox and the Bears in particular. We didn't get to the NBA draft and the Bulls, but it was just a great conversation. I'm, again, grateful that David could come on. I've been working to get him on for a while, and our schedules finally lined up with each other because we're both busy. So without further ado, I'll stop talking. Here is David Haw of 670 to score with me on the Sunday Sports Shootout. The Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, and I'm Nick Schultz. And with the Bears playing on Monday night, I'm excited to welcome in my good friend David Haw of 670 The Score. You hear him mornings 5 to 9 with Mike Mulligan, who is a Loyola alum. And David joins me now. And David, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing, sir? It's good to be here, Nick. Don't I have an honorary Loyola degree from the Final Four run a little bit? I was around the school a lot that, that year. Yeah, that's how we met was that Final Four run. I'll talk yeah, to Sister so, Jean, see if I can get you that honorary degree. Okay. Can you work, work on that a little bit, see what kind of pull you have around there? Thank you. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a lot of fun back then. But I wish we could talk some college basketball, but there's a lot of uh, professional sports news to talk about with the, uh, the White Sox and the Bears in particular. And I've got to start on the south side. Tony LaRusso is the new manager. I talked about that a little bit on the show the last couple of weeks. But this week it comes out that there was a DUI charge and that he was charged the day before the White Sox announced his hiring. That was October 28th. He was hired October 29th. What was your reaction when you saw Jeff Passan's report? Well, I think everybody was a little bit stunned uh, because that's just something that you, you didn't expect. You were surprised enough by the fact that they went with, you know, a manager who had been out of the game for nine years at 76 years old over some people that you thought maybe more were, were a better fit. And then you got the, the DOI charge, which is just troubling and just an overall bad look. That, um, so I think people were surprised. Uh, obviously, due process it has to play out, and you, you want to be fair in making any sort of conclusions. But I think after the surprise, you're sort of disappointed in the fact that, you know, this is the second time Tony La Russa has been uh, in this kind of situation. It's the second DUI arrest since 2007. And after that one, he vowed it would never happen again. And here it is happening again. Now it has to play out in, in the process and in the, in the court system in Arizona. But it, it was surprised that led to disappointment which I think, you know, created some frustration, which is a familiar feeling for a lot of Sox fans this offseason. As someone who lives with two Sox fans, my dad and my sister, I can vouch for the, the disappointment with it for sure. I was playing basketball when I found out about it. And I tweeted this immediately afterward. It was just the first thing that came to mind. And you kind of, I think you wrote about it in your column at uh, 670thescore.com. Where is Jerry Reinsdorf through all this? Well, you know, he doesn't really deal with the media anymore much. And, and that's unfortunate because I, I think that, you know, Jerry, uh, his relationship with Tony La Russa goes back, obviously, as we know, to the 80s. And, and his biggest regret was firing Jerry uh, or Tony La Russa in 1986. And I, I just feel like it, he, he's, he's on the verge of making his biggest 
mistake, you know, in terms of staying by. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think being, you know, a chairman is acting in a very unilateral way. Uh, this doesn't feel like a consensus uh, with the White Sox. And so uh, I, I think that, you know, we all in the media uh, like to, we, we respect accountability and we appreciate accessibility. And those aren't necessarily, you know, Jerry's, Jerry Reinsdorf's strong points this week or, or in general. And I think he's just reached a point in his career where he can't be bothered with the pesky media. So I guess we are to be ignored and that's his prerogative. But I think if he does that, then he does expose himself to some criticism because, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very polarizing move that he made. And then this, this uh, incident with the police made it worse or at least stand out. So he's fair game. And so I think he's open and criticism is certainly not immune to it. And I was thinking about that too. I even read it in uh, John Greenberg's column at The Athletic. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, so it would have been yesterday, Thursday, about the, uh, the interview he did with uh, Mark Silverman and Kermit DeFalco, where he was like, you guys don't, what is it, you guys don't get a bite of the apple or something like that that he said? And you hear yeah, that, that. Long, that was, yeah, that was a long time ago. I, I, I don't really, you know, I think Jerry has actually talked a lot since that point, but um, that was the one a lot of people go back to and, and uh, for various reasons. But I, I, you know, when, when they have big moments like this, it just would be, uh, it would be smart PR to, and also it's just respecting your fans. You know, your, your fans uh, of the White Sox have a lot of questions about the rationale used to hire a manager. And, and, you know, when you look around, when you look around the other pro sports franchises, you hear from Tom Ricketts uh, now and then you hear from Rocky Wirtz on occasion. We hear, um, we, we hear from George McCaskey, you know, we very seldom hear from Jerry Reinsdorf. And so I just think that uh, it's, it's not that much to ask for him to be uh, and fulfill that part of his duty. And you hit the buzzword there. As someone who studied journalism and even a little bit of PR the last four years, it's good PR to, okay, get out there, get out and defend it yourself instead of having it spin itself, essentially. Because I feel like that's what's happening is with social media, the story's spinning itself. And I feel like, I don't know if he can control it even. Well, it, you know, if you study this and, you, and you, you're talking about it in a classroom setting, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to understand because you know, on one hand, when you look at all the facts and you look at the, okay, well, if they were aware that the manager they were going to introduce publicly on October 29th was charged with a, you know, a DUI uh, on uh, October 28th, then you chose not to make that public knowledge. Okay, that's a that's a uh, something you would discuss in a meeting, but my sense is that you should also then discuss what do you, what is your plan for when that does see the light of day and that is unearthed and and it seems as if the Sox had no plan so that would leave you to wonder you know did they really know and if they didn't uh, how they feel about the fact that they might not have known and hired you know Tony without knowing without knowledge of this and and I and I just can't imagine and you don't want to conclude that they you know they knew about this and they just diminished its significance or seriousness and they figured it would all just go away. That's pretty short-sighted. And I don't think that's, you know, real uh, good, smart public relations. I think it's also naive. So it's either or. And if they knew about this, then they have done a poor job of getting in front of it. 
and that's the other thing. There's a lot of ifs. We just got a lot of questions and doesn't seem like there's a lot of answers, but I feel like more will come after the investigation as the Sox said in their statement. But it's not all bad for the White Sox, though, because Jose Abreu was named the MVP. And I think that was well-deserved. He would have been my pick. And what do you think this does now for his status around the league? Because he's always been kind of underrated in my eyes. And I'm a Cubs fan through and through, but I respect the Sox. I've watched the Sox. Is he considered, quote-unquote, underrated anymore, do you think? Well, probably not now, but I think you're right. You know, I think the first, he came to the Sox in 2014. He was Rookie of the Year. And then he was on a lot of bad teams and um, considered sort of a one-dimensional player. And a year ago at this time, I think the debate around Chicago was whether or not they should, you know, re-sign him for a contract extension if, if his greatest strength was the fact that he was a leader and he wasn't necessarily a, a clutch hitter. But he is, and he's all those things. And so this year, even though it was only a 60-game season, he, uh, he confirmed a lot of those um, expectations and he, and he fulfilled them. And, and so what he did last night, you know, when you become an MVP, I think that, uh, and, and you are, you know, puts you in the company of, of some of the other Sox greats like Dick Allen and, and Nellie Fox and Frank Thomas. These are the kinds of things that, you know, that's legend status. And so when you talk about, you know, White Sox legendary players, Jose Abreu now is among them. So that's part of his legacy. He's a rookie of the year. He's an MVP. The only thing missing now is to win a World Series. And if he wins the World Series, he will go down in Sox history with some things that, that distinguish him and put him in a very uh, small group of players that have ever accomplished what he is on the verge of accomplishing. And then, you know, he's a really classy, humble guy. And, and you like to see good things happen to good people. And he certainly, in my experience, covering the White Sox is one of the best. I do have to say, watching his reaction last night on MLB Network when he found out, that was amazing. And that just shows, like like you said, he's been there since the beginning. He's had a lot of bad seasons. And then to, to have it happen now as they're on the verge of the World Series, in my opinion, I, it's just it speaks volume to who he is. And I really hope they get that World Series ring. Yeah, you know, Nick, five years ago, uh, next month, I was, I was fortunate enough to go to, to Cuba uh, with an MLB media delegation to follow some players, Cuban players in the majors, who were on a base, basically a goodwill tour. And they were going back home to promote the game of baseball. And they invited um, about a dozen of us from uh, various markets and uh, John Jay was on that trip. Other players, Yasio Puig was on that trip. And so this, I was around, I was assigned to Jose Abreu. And to see the way that he is revered in his home country, place where he you know, played for $10 a month and grew up poor and humble and with the dream of doing what he has done in America. You know, this is a guy that defected from Cuba. He, he got on a boat and he sailed it to the Dominican and then he got, it was caught up in some real bad stuff and at one time had to eat his passport to just to stay uh, ahead of the game, ahead of the, you know, the chase. It just, that's reality. And so the baseball part of it has almost been the easiest part of it for Jose Abreu. And um, as much as Sox fans love him, you know, his, his uh, people back home respect him as well. And it's just, uh, he's got, he's a, he's a hero now in two different countries. And that's great to see. How can you not love that guy? Like, I just don't know. How can you say a bad word about him? I, don't, I mean, I haven't seen anyone say anything about him, but that's just, 
I, he's one of my favorite players in the game, absolutely. Yeah, I've never really heard anything negative, which is really rare. You know, you, a lot of times you see guys succeed, and on their way to the top, they step on a lot of different people along the way. And, and Abreu is just one of those rare figures that um, seems to be, you know, a nice guy that's finished first. Absolutely. One last thing kind of on the White Sox. Is White Sox related. Uh, like I said, we're recording this on Friday. So this morning it was announced that Kim Ang is taking over as GM of the Marlins. She got her start with the White Sox. And I don't know if you had any interactions with Kim, but what was your reaction to seeing that news? Well, I think it's huge. It's, it's a, a huge breakthrough for Major League Baseball and professional sports in general. Uh, Kim was also uh, started with the White Sox after four-year college careers uh, playing softball at the University of Chicago. So she's sort of local. Uh, she's somebody who has now uh, achieved a level of distinction in the game. He, she commands and deserves everyone's respect. She won't be overmatched. This is probably something that's a long time coming in, in Major League Baseball and professional sports in general. Uh, I, I, I think the University of Chicago should be extremely proud of her. And the White Sox just as proud for giving her uh, a start in the profession. But uh, everything that she has accomplished, she owes to herself. She, she did it, and she now has a great challenge ahead of her. Good for Derek Jeter. Good for the Marlins organization for being progressive enough to see in her the things that make her qualified for this job. Because you talk around baseball, and I've just, I, in the past, you know, in, in the two hours that it has happened, I've had a couple people reach out to me in the game just to kind of marvel at what's happened and to reinforce the idea of how qualified she is. So that just tells you that uh, this is something that I hope, uh, I, she's the first, I hope she's not the last. I know my sister's going into sports management. She's a senior in high school and saw that today. And I saw that the gears are kind of churning there because of the, the opportunities that are going through her mind too. Like, okay, maybe I can do something like that. And that's what, okay. as a, on a personal note, that's what I love. Look out, Theo. You know, here she comes. So that, uh, <laughs> that would be great. You know, the more, the more opportunities for Major League Baseball to diversify, the better. Because, um, you know, that, that, uh, I think that examples like Kim, she, she is illustrating that, uh, you know, you, there are pathways to explore that um, the game needs to go down. So, yeah, more power to anyone who believes in, in their ability and has a dream. Absolutely. And I, we got to talk football because you're a football guy. You played in college at Ball State, chirp, chirp. But we got to talk Bears. And uh, as much as I've been, there was positivity around the White Sox the last couple of questions. Uh, I'm not sure about the Bears right now. Losers are three straight. How do you think they get back on track here if they can get back on track? I know they're pretty beat up with injuries. Well, I just want to hear you say chirp, chirp again, Nick. I mean, that's good for a Loyola guy to be, you know, acknowledge the fact that, you know, uh, the the, the mid-major dream is still alive, right? I mean, Ball State Absolutely. is a tremendous uh, uh, smaller mid-major program. I love Mid-American Conference football. I love action on Wednesday nights. Nothing better than that. Uh, Me too. But that is, that is kind of – I love football. I love hockey. I love covering all the sports. But football definitely is something I've probably been around the longest. You know, the Bears, the Bears, as long as I've been around football, have had the same chronic issue. They have an offense that is very limited. And this year, it's more limited than usual. It's all about the offensive line for the Bears. It's football one-on-one. If you can't block, you can't run. If you can't run, you can't pass. If you can't pass, you can't score. And they can't score. And so since the middle of the 2018 season, this is a team 
averaging in the teens. And Matt Nagy was brought to Chicago to change all of that. He's the latest guy who was brought here to change all that. He's not changed anything. So that's the problem. And against the teams that have prolific offenses, they're going to run into trouble. The Vikings, they have a prolific running game. I don't think they have a prolific offense. This is an opportunity for the Bears because defensively they're still somewhat elite. They have an opportunity to score every series. They're on the field, that defense. So that gives them a shot that they could stop Dalvin Cook from breaking the big one, from getting these chunk plays. Then they will have a shot. The defense is going to have to score. The offense is going to have to stay out of its own way, protect the football, try to run, eat the clock, and let your defense win a close field position game. That's the recipe. That's the formula. It'll put you to sleep if you let it but it also can be effective and let you win. I want to talk about the offense, but going back to the defense for a second, you brought up Dalvin Cook. The Bears contained Dalvin Kamara pretty good last week. Do you think that says anything about what they can do against Dalvin Cook this week? Mm, you know, Kamara to me is probably the first half MVP just because of the different ways he can beat you. I As someone who really got beat think... by him in fantasy, I agree with you. <laughs> I don't really know that he's the same kind of runner. Dalvin Cook is is uh, bigger and I think even more explosive. I think Kamara, when I think of him and watch him on tape, he's, he's shifty. He's, he's more in space type of guy. Dalvin Cook will run away from you, but he can also run over you. And, you know, that is probably a bigger challenge for um, the interior of the line. And, and maybe – you know, maybe Kamara is a bigger problem in the open field and, and Cook is a bigger problem maybe between the tackles. They're both problems. But I think the success against Kamara, relative success, because the Saints didn't do what they wanted to do kind of on the ground as well as the Titans did. The Bears have not stopped the ground game very well this year, and that's maybe the Achilles heel of this defense. They miss Eddie Goldman. They're going to miss some Monday night. So I I think the, the defensive – Secondary has got to make sure tackles. Roquan Smith has got to be as active as he has been. Danny Trevathan cannot have a veteran's holiday. And if they can do all those things and they can stop the run, I don't think Kirk Cousins is good enough to beat the Bears in prime time because, frankly, Kirk Cousins hasn't been good enough to beat anybody in prime time. He's winless after 7 o'clock. So I think that is something to remember. If you can tackle Dalvin Cook, you can win this football game. Talking with David Hall, 670 to score here on the Sunday Sports Shootout, WLUW 88.7 FM. All right, let's talk offense because I, like many, have not been a fan of Matt Nagy's answers on the play calling duties. And even today I saw your guy, Mark Grody, Illinois State guy, by the way, Missouri Valley. He tweeted that uh, Bears OC Bill Lazor was asked multiple general questions about play calling and respectfully declined to discuss it. How do you see the play calling situation playing out on Monday? Well, it, it seems as if that they're respectfully declining to discuss it. It typically means that they are respectfully declining to share what they know because they don't want you to make a bigger deal of it than it is, which means it probably are, it, it, it's probably going to be more collaborative. And, and I think we have spent a lot of time in Chicago, you know, breaking down and trying to parse and, and, and get something that we you know, don't have in terms of information and who's calling this play and who's calling that play. It's not necessarily, to me, the play calling. Uh, now, that's been a problem, but it's also the execution. It's not necessarily the innovation or the imagination. It's all about, you know, you look a lot smarter when guys block 
and you could run the football. In the first two games of the season, when the Bears could actually run the ball, Matt Nagy had some pretty good sequencing. It's much easier to call a game when you can do what you want to do on first down so you're not in second and long and you're not dreading third and third and whatever because on third down you were terrible against the Titans. I think that the Bears have to, you know, find ways to compensate for their uh, way they're overmatched on the offensive line. Uh, if that means bringing Bill Lazor or whoever into the equation as a play caller, good. Uh, because you need to, you know, sequence the play so one sets up another. And it's not just the most creative play that you have on page 327 of your playbook. It's the, it's the one that you have on the second play uh, in the sequence because it sets up the third play in the sequence. It's the same action or the same personnel, and your tendencies aren't that predictable. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think the Bears trying to conceal it it, it's it, the less they say, the more you wonder and the more you expect them to be uh, more of a collaborative play calling approach against the Vikings. Now, when Matt Nagy says something like, I don't think that's something I'm going to share with you guys or whatever, however he put it about something that you guys won't know. I'm no expert. I never played football. I golfed in high school. I was in the marching band to give you an idea of where my football experience is. Wouldn't it be kind of obvious if someone else is calling the plays because Matt Nagy won't have the big sheet that says BU on it? <laughs> <laughs> See, I think he's still going to have the big sheet. And I, and I think that's the one thing that we'll never know because their outward behavior won't change. And if you're the, if you're the offensive coordinator or, or if you're the head coach, you're going to want to know what's going on anyway. So I think he's still going to have the big sheet. He's still going to have the BU. He's still going to have all the – all the things he would have, and we're not going to know what's going on in the headset, uh, and, I, and I don't think that we ever will. And if we did, maybe we could tell, but I think he'll go through the, the motions. Will Everything will look very familiar. I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case because they don't want to be that transparent. They want to keep people guessing because once you tip your hand, they believe that the team will go back and start evaluating the way laser call plays for the Bengals or the Dolphins and or Filippo for the Vikings or the Jaguars, and they'll try to get tendencies, and I don't think the Bears want to give them any advantage. All right, last question. What's your prediction for Monday night? You know, I think the Bears have to win this game, Nick. I think the fact that they they can't lose it and expect to really go into a four-game you know, tailspin like they did last year when they lost four in a row, and that would be – that would be really a sign of no progress. You're running in place if you have two seasons in a row that include four-game losing streaks, and they can't afford to let that happen. The implications are too great. Even though they could salvage something out of the season still, the, the confidence and morale would really take a hit. So I think they play with that sense of urgency and desperation. I think they protect the football. It won't be pretty, but it'll be one of those games that I think Nick Foles will be lecturing us afterward about the beauty of an ugly win. But I do think the Bears win ugly. And I do think it's 21-20 Bears. And it'll be a Monday night game that will keep your attention. And uh, I, I hope it is worth staying up for because I have to get up early the next morning. <laughs> yeah, you do. you got to get up earlier than I do. I get the day off on Mondays when I work at the golf course. But you've heard the prediction from the expert. I give mine at the end of the show in the last five minutes. I'll give my prediction for Bears-Vikings on Monday. But we've been talking with David Haw of 670, the score. He's half of Mully and Haw. David, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun. we got to do this again sometime. Anytime, Nick. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. That was David Haw of 670, the score. 
And I'm really, again, really glad he could come on the show. And it was just a lot of good stuff in there. And that interview will be posted on the Interviews podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts as soon as the show is over. And as usual, the show podcast will go live around 12.30 this afternoon. And a lot of good stuff to unpack there. I didn't know that story about him going to Cuba to see Jose Abreu and seeing the impact he had on his home country. Just really, really great interview. I was really glad that worked out. And again, that was before Matt Nagy announced the play calling duties were handed over. But I did like David's insight as to how Bill Lazor could attack things, and you heard his prediction. I'll get mine here in little more than 25 minutes here on 88.7 FM WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. This is a Sunday sports shootout with Nick Schultz. This is usually where I'd open up the phone lines, but I can't open up the phone lines because we're working remote. I feel like I say this every week, but it's the usual disclaimer. Feel free to tweet at me at Nick Schultz underscore seven. If you have any thoughts you want to contribute about anything related to Chicago sports or just sports in general, feel free to shoot me a tweet. Again, I'm live here for the next half hour, assuming my power doesn't go out during this windstorm. So far, we're doing okay, but we're going to see what happens in that regard. All right, let's talk about the play calling situation because Matt Nagy's not calling the plays this week against Minnesota. And again, that's on Monday Night Football. We all remember what happened the last time the Bears were on Monday Night Football. I came on here that next Sunday and was just spitting fire into the microphone. I was so angry. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. I don't think it will happen again. But with Matt Nagy not calling the plays, I feel like this offense could see a little bit more of a resurgence. And by more of a resurgence, I mean, I think it could actually look competent for a change. It hasn't for the last year and a half or so. And an interesting tweet here from Mark Potash at the Sun-Times. I saw this shortly after the news broke that Bill Lazor is calling plays. When Bill Lazor was promoted to offensive coordinator with the Bengals in Week 3 in 2017, Andy Dalton had a 47.2 quarterback rating. No touchdowns, four interceptions. In his first two games with Lazor calling the shots, Dalton had ratings of 124.1 and 146, with six touchdowns and no interceptions. Normally, I wouldn't compare the Bears quarterback situation to that of Andy Dalton. That was a really nice shot in the Masters by Tommy Fleetwood. Wow. Okay, focus. Sorry, Masters Sunday. But I wouldn't be comparing Nick Foles to Andy Dalton. But looking at those numbers, if Bill Lazor can do that with Andy Dalton, he can do that with Nick Foles. The problem is, and it goes back to what David and I talked about, that offensive line. Because that offensive line is bad and there's talk of Cody White here possibly coming back this week and I think Sam Mustafer might be I mean I'll, I'll check the injury report here in a little bit but that's not the whole story because Potsy tweeted this about an hour and a half later the rest of the story the Bengals still finished 32nd and last in the NFL in total offense and 26th in scoring that season that gives you an idea of how Bill Lazor was as a play caller in Cincinnati. I remember he didn't coach last year. He he just didn't get hired last year by anybody. So that's something to keep in mind. But those numbers may as well try. I mean, if we see any more Cordero Patterson jet sweeps, I might throw something at the TV. Because th at some point you just got to admit, 
those don't work. And uh, when they, when Nagy did that on fourth and one, I, oh my God, I went nuts. <laughs> so hopefully we don't see any more of that. If I'm in Bill Lazor's shoes, I am just putting a Sharpie over that on the play sheet. Just do not, do not call that play, please, for the sanity of Bears fans. And again, I keep going back to it. Let's see what happens. We'll see. The running game is going to be impacted, though, because David Montgomery is out with a concussion. And news broke about 20 minutes before we came on the air today that Lamar Miller is being activated off the Bears practice squad. So he will be in the lineup on Monday. He didn't play last year because he was out with a torn ACL. So this will be his first NFL action in a couple years. And it goes back to my theme for tomorrow night. Let's see what happens. It's going to be interesting, no doubt, because here's the injury report. Uh, John Jenkins is out with an ankle. Cole Komet's questionable with a groin, which questionable means he'll play because he was limited in practice yesterday. Sherrick McManus is out with a hand. David Montgomery, as I said, is out with a concussion. Sam Mustafer is doubtful with a knee. He didn't practice yesterday. So when I said Sam Mustafer might play, I think that's probably not going to happen, but you never know. Jason Spriggs, an O-lineman, is questionable with a knee, so he'll probably play. Mitchell Trubisky, obviously, is out with that right shoulder injury, which he hurt on his one play he saw against the Saints. Just wanted to remind you of that. Arkevius Mingo, who at one point was the leading rusher last week, is questionable with a shoulder, so he's going to play. The one that worries me is that Allen Robinson is questionable with a knee. He's probably going to play because he was limited in practice. But just the fact that he's on the injury report at all is not a good sign. Roquan Smith was full in practice with a, after a back injury, so he's good to go. Kyle Mack does not appear on the injury report, which is a really good sign. And that's, that's absolutely reassuring. Uh, Eddie Jackson uh, was on here with personal issues, didn't practice yesterday. No game status, so I think he's going to play. But that's just something to keep an eye on. But yeah, Kello Mack is not on the injury report. And I saw, was it Fox Sports NFL posted that the fans voted him the midseason defensive player of the year? He's still dominant. And the fact that he's healthy, I think he's going to be even more dominant. I think we're going to see more of Kello Mack. I really do, because I think Bears pass rush is going to get to Kirk Cousins. And it's going to be tough to stop Dalvin Cook, but they're going to get to Kirk Cousins. And... I just got to say, hey, Kurt, you like that? Sorry, had to. It's the joke I got to make every time. I'll make my prediction at the end of the show. Again, it's about 19 minutes from right now because I do want to talk NBA draft because that's coming up on Wednesday. As crazy as that is, I never thought I'd be talking about the NBA draft coming up on Wednesday while watching Masters Sunday. But, hey, it's 2020. Wednesday at 730 the draft is on. The Bulls have the number four pick, which I, that's, I, I am I the only one that just loves saying that, that the Bulls have the number four pick? It's so much more refreshing than saying, oh, they got the seventh pick again. But I was reading the Sun-Times yesterday because I read the Sports Saturday, and Joe Cowley's doing all kinds of draft coverage. He's all over the Bulls beat. I'm reading this story, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read more on the story because there's another name that's popped up in draft discussions that I want to talk about. His second-to-last paragraph. Joe writes, there's another scenario. Maybe Tyrese Halbert, the guy I'm going to tell you about, 
is the guy the Bulls want all along, and they move down to number seven. Currently held by the Pistons, who are looking to move up, with Halliburton falling right into their open arms. If I'm celebrating the Bulls not getting the seventh pick, and they trade down to number seven, I'm going to go ballistic. Because ever since the lottery, I've been like, yes, they didn't get number seven again. The curse is broken. And if they end up trading down to get number seven, this guy better work out. Who is this guy? Tyrese Halliburton. Well, and Joe's subhead says it perfectly. Sitting at number four in the draft, the Bulls have something every team desires. Options. And that's what I talked about last week. With the top four picks, they could fall anywhere. I could see... It's LaMelo Ball, James Weissman, Anthony Edwards, and Denny Abdia. Now, I've been on the Denny Abdia train all along. But any of those four guys can go in any order in that top four. I, I think they could all be number one picks, and I think they'll be good number one picks. But this is a pretty deep draft, all things considered. So of all years for the Bulls not to be number seven, I'm glad they moved up. But there's options at number four. And I'm just going to read a little bit of Joe's article because it's interesting. Tyrese Halliburton wants to be a Bull. That in itself should be cause for celebration, considering the Bulls' reputation the last few years, largely because of the circus that was their coaching staff. First of all, well put. Actually, it's actually nicer than I would have said it, but very well put. And this quote is really good. I think I fit well in Chicago, Halliburton said on a, on a teleconference call earlier this week with the NBA draft coming up next Wednesday. Obviously, with two guards and Kobe and Zach, Kobe White and Zach Levine, who can score at a high level, I think I can come in right away and be somebody who can take the burden off them and facilitate. But also, with them wanting the ball in their hands at the same time, I can be a guy that plays off the ball and knocks down shots. So whatever is needed in Chicago, or any organization for that matter, I'm ready to do. And this guy's a playmaker. And I, I tweeted this, Going back and forth with my buddy Joe today from uh, NBC Sports Chicago. He's uh, one of the producers over there. And he and I got along really well during my internship last year. We go back and forth on Twitter all the time. And I tweeted this back at him because he was talking about Tyrese Halliburton. And my knee-jerk reaction when I see the Bulls and Iowa State in the same sentence is I cringe. You think back to Tim Floyd. You think back to Fred Hoiberg. Failed experiments, granted those were coaches instead of players, but the point still stands. The Bulls and Iowa State, the same sentence. It's usually the kind of scary story you hear around Halloween. But Joe and I went back and forth, and Joe tweeted, not going to lie, Bulls taking an Iowa State player and watching the fan base freak out would be kind of funny, which is why I reacted with the, the gif of the scene from Talladega Nights where he says, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, and then Joe makes a good point. I wouldn't mind Halliburton in a trade-down scenario. He'd be a solid NBA player at worst. I agree with that. He's not going to necessarily be the top guy, but I think he could be solid. I've heard his name more and more the last few weeks. And he's interviewed with the Bulls. He's worked out with the Bulls. I really don't think he's number four pick caliber, but definitely I agree with Joe. I agree with, well, I agree with both Joes, Joe today and Joe Cowley, that He's definitely a trade-down type of player. And if they do trade down and take him, it's just my motto anymore, it better work. I mean, I really like Denny Evdia. I have since the beginning. I think he's got a high upside. I think he can 
come in and contribute right away. He's going to be a little raw, and like we talked about last week, his defense still needs some work, and his three-point shooting needs some work. But he's been working on that hard. And I think that drive, and if it'd be one thing if Billy Donovan wasn't the coach, but with Billy Donovan, and he just round out the coaching staff. Welcome home, Maurice Cheeks, by the way. Good to see Mo Cheeks back in Chicago. With those two there especially, I really think a guy like Denny Evdia would flourish. He'd fit into the system. He'd be able to to fix some of those issues and turn into a really good NBA player. And that's why I think the Bulls need to stay at number four, if not move up. And if they move up, take LaMelo. LaMelo Ball is a name I've heard a lot. Or stay at number four, take Denny Evdia. Those are the two, those are the two birds in the hand here. Because LaMelo Ball would give you the true point guard. But Evdia gives you a piece that, okay, Zach... Thank you for all. Thank you for everything you've done for the Bulls organization. You've been the fans love you. You've you've been instrumental in our success. We're gonna go in a different direction here. We're gonna bring in Denny. We're gonna draft him. Probably gonna if you want to trade, we'll trade you. Otherwise, mentor him this year. We're gonna let you walk in free agency. I think that's how that needs to go. Because Zach Levine is not a number one type player. And. It hurts to say because I, I do like Zach Levine. I think he's flashy. I think he I think he got snubbed for the All-Star game, to give you an idea of where I stand on him. He's not a number one type guy. He's a supporting character, but not like a background. He's not like an extra, but he's not your leading guy. He's one of those supporting characters that's just kind of there, and he can give your team a really good boost. But if he's your number one guy, you're not going to win a lot. That's why you bring in a guy like Denny Abdia, who can replace Otto Porter, by the way. Get Otto Porter out of town. They're paying him, what did I say last week, $28 million? Just get him out of town. That's where Abdia can come in. He can replace OPJ and release some of the burden from Zach. That's where I stand on that. And I, do, I know, and Joe wrote this, that any pre-NBA draft rumors you hear, it's basically who's the best liar. I mean, there's no way to really predict the NBA draft. I don't do mock drafts. I don't really. I follow them just to get an idea of what people are thinking, but I, they're not. They're not set in stone. I mean, like I said, I, Tyrese Halliburton's name has only come up in the last couple weeks. Denny Abdia's name has been there since the beginning. Lamelo Ball's name has been a consensus top four pick. Even then, now you're starting to see his name move down in those mock drafts. So maybe the Bulls don't have to move up to take LaMelo Ball. At that point, I'm guessing Abdia is going to be off the board. And you're hearing the rumors from Golden State about, oh, we're, we really like Denny Abdia. We think he'd be a good piece. That's all smoke. It's all NBA draft smoke. Don't believe it. I'll believe anything that happens on draft night. And I'll probably end up having tweet alerts on for Woj and Shams because they're going to be covering this like crazy. And Wednesday's going to be fun. And it's, I'm glad that Bulls fans like me are watching this excited for a change. Because we've had drafts the last few years where the Bulls have had the seventh pick. And they end up with Wendell Carter Jr. Not the sexiest of picks. And then they had the number seven pick. 
And I want to say that was the Jimmy Butler trade. They ended up with Lowry Marketing, which I think Lowry Marketing is a solid piece. I really do. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little too high on Lowry Marketing because I think most of the issue with him last year was coaching. And that just goes back to, I mean, I love Jim Boylan, as everybody knows. Everybody knows I was a big Jim Boylan fan when he was in town. And he didn't know how to use Lowry. He tried parking him down low and using him more as a rebounder when he's a shooter. Like, put him out on the wing, let him shoot threes. So Lowry wasn't used well. So I, I really think Lowry could be a good piece. And the other number seven pick that the Bulls took was Kobe White, who I think could turn into a solid player, but they need to quit trying to turn him into a true point guard because he's not a true point guard. It's just not going to happen. He's got a great shot, but he's not a true point guard. And this Bulls team needs to either get a true point guard and build around that or take a guy like Anthony Edwards if you can, if you can trade up, and go positionless. It's an option. It's not my favorite style of basketball, but it works. It's where the game's going. So there are, as Joe Cowley writes, options at number four. And that's that's a great... What's the word I'm looking for here? That's what you want to have in a draft, especially with guys like Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley running the show because their draft records are solid. If Gar Foreman and John Paxson were still here, A, I don't think the Bulls would have the number four pick because those guys were just cursed to begin with. And B, I would not be as excited about the draft just looking at their history. Yes, they got Derrick Rose at number one. That's great. You got lucky in the lottery. There are people who say that lottery was rigged. You got lucky. Looking at the draft history, those guys, not sure I trust them. This is Karnaschobis and Eversley's first draft with the Bulls, and this is where they can this is where they can make their mark. Granted, Karnaschobis made a hell of a statement by going and getting Billy Donovan. I mean, bringing him in as coach, that brings in that brought credibility, that shows you're serious. And he's even said this is a retool, not a rebuild. So if you are retooling, yes, get the best guy available. And he's said that in press conferences. You don't look for need at number four. You look for the best guy on the board. And with talk of trading up or trading down, there are plenty of directions for the Bulls to go. And that's what you want in a draft like this. This isn't... This isn't an all-star caliber draft. It's not going to be one of the best drafts in history. It's not like you've got LeBron and Carmelo and Kevin Durant. It's not like that draft. You've got a lot of solid pieces here who can turn into, you probably got a lot of all-stars here, but there's, there's no Zion Williamson is what I'm saying. There's no Zion this year. You've got a lot of solid guys who won, I'll even say one through 15, Probably not going to be too much of a disappointment. But the higher you are, obviously, the better chances you have of getting one of those guys who can just take a leap and go crazy. Sky's the limit. I'm still on the Denny of Dia train. And I don't think I'm going to jump off the Denny of Dia train. The big thing with him is it finally allows you to move on from Otto Porter Jr., which was just another amazing decision by Gar Pax. He just, he's not healthy enough, and you're paying him too much money. He's going to be there this year. That's basically a given. 
But after this year, just move on. And even then, I, I'd, I'd start Abdia over OPJ. I would. But like I said, Wednesday, 7.30 p.m., that's when the draft starts. I'm going to be glued to my TV, and I'm going to try my best to get a Bulls-related guest for next week to talk about the draft and talk about everything coming up with the NBA because the season's set to start December 22nd. And if I'm not mistaken, that's – how many weeks away is that probably? Probably five weeks away now. It's coming quick because it's November 15th, which is also my brother's birthday. i got to give a shout-out to my brother. Happy birthday, Bubba. The season's coming sooner than we think. That's why Wednesday's so big because, okay – you get your guy. Let's start planning for the year if you're not planning for it already. Because you want to you want to know, okay, do I have a strong small forward in Denny Adia who can replace Otto Porter? Do we have a true point guard in LaMelo Ball who can slide into that true point? Do we have Anthony Edwards to allow us to kind of fade Zach Levine out and give him one last hurrah if we don't trade him? Because the trade moratorium's ending soon. I saw Woj post that story. Let me, was it Woj? Let me check Shams. The trade moratorium is being lifted here soon. I know that. So then you're going to start hearing more about, okay, who's going where, trade rumors. Where is it at? Actually, it might even be lifted today because Dennis Schroeder's getting traded to the Lakers. Deal can be completed at noon Eastern on Monday. So dr trades can start, I guess, being made now, I guess. And they can be completed tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time, noon Eastern. That's the other thing to watch, is after this draft, who gets traded? What pieces are going to move? And one other thing. I didn't have this written down, but I've got some time. I just want to throw it out there. Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. Bulls Twitter, including myself. I think I'd have to leave in the tweet. But should the Bulls make a run at Russell Westbrook? I'm not sure. I'm not sure you want that ego. But that said, I mean, you look look at what he's done when he's playing with other superstars. There, There's no other superstar on this team. Again, I love Zach Levine. He's not a superstar, quote-unquote. Maybe bring in Russell Westbrook as your point guard if you don't get LaMelo Ball. Again, the buzzword for this week for the Bulls is options. And there are plenty of options. Do you go make a trade for Russ? I don't know. He's a name. Do you want this version of Russell Westbrook, though? And again, I'm not looking strictly on the court. I'm looking off the court. I mean, you that's an ego. That's a personality. Granted, this is where it helps that Billy Donovan's your coach. Now you have room to, you can spread out a little bit. You can be like, okay, maybe we can bring in a guy like that. I'm not sure if I'm on that train, but it would also signal that the Bulls are serious about this thing. Which, I guess it's been signaled by their hiring of Donovan, but it, point stands. It shows, okay, we're committed to this. This is not... This is not... How do I... This is not a rebuild. This is not tear it down and go back. This is, okay, we're going to retool this thing. And by retool, I mean, okay, you're going to tweak a couple things. you got to coach in. 
Let's go make a run for a championship. There is no reason that this team should have finished outside of the playoff hunt last year. The Eastern Conference is bad. And I'm not saying the Bulls were worthy of making a run in the playoffs, but they could have easily been the 8th seed. And that just shows how bad the East is. The Bulls would make the playoffs because the East was bad. Now you've got a competent coach. There's the word. The competent coach who knows what he's doing, who can get the most out of his players. Then, if you bring it, you're going to draft... I'm going to guess you're drafting a stud on Wednesday. So then you have the decision, okay, if it's not LaMelo Ball, do you go after a guy like Russell Westbrook? Who knows? I'm not saying I'd be totally opposed to that. But I'm not sure if I'm totally for it either. A lot's going to be decided Wednesday night. It's it's all determined by who the Bulls select. It's a good draft. It's a good draft to be the number four pick in because there's a lot of options. That's going to be the buzzword. I'm going to keep using that. And hopefully next week we're out here celebrating potentially the next big thing in Chicago, getting ready for the season. And like I said, I'm going to try to book a Bulls-related guest to help break things down. But we'll see. All right, as promised, we got five minutes left. I'm going to give you my pick for the Bears game this week and talk a little more about what's going to happen tomorrow night again. Monday night football, Bears-Vikings, 720 kickoff on ESPN. Second time this year the Bears are on Monday night football. The last time was not fun. It was not a good game. It was actually one of the worst games I've ever seen. Hopefully this one's better, and I think it will be. I think the Bears win 17-14. And I, I was talking to a couple of friends last night. They're like, you don't think the Vikings are going to get a field goal? Nope. Two touchdowns. 17-14 Bears. Like David said in our interview, which I still say that was a great interview, and that will be posted later. Like he said, it's going to be an ugly win. They need this win. They know they need this win. That's why Nagy handed off the play calling when he did. I think with Bill Lazor calling the plays, and that one thing to keep in mind, it's the same players. So the offensive line is still going to stink. Just keep that in mind when you're going after Bill Lazor's play calling. But I think that's going to help. It's going to be a fresh start. I think he and Foles are going to just have a connection. 17-14 Bears is my prediction for tomorrow night. The over-under is 43.5, by the way. Just saying. I don't even remember what the spread is for that game. I want to say the Vikings are favored. I uh, see Vikings by 2.5. That's what the spread is. So, I, I like I said, I think the Bears win. As I talked about a few weeks ago, and this was when I was on the train of, oh, the Bears need more respect in Vegas before they totally just laid an egg. Bears aren't going to be favored a lot this year. But that's what I think is going to happen tomorrow night. And it's going to be ugly. You're going uh, to hear Nick Foles after the game. Do you want to win ugly or lose pretty? I want to win ugly. We want to win. 
You're going to hear that. You're going to hear all the cliches. Trust me. You're going to hear cliche after cliche after cliche. And again, this is one thing I wanted to talk about and I just wanted to get to everything else. You're going to see, this is my prediction, you're going to see that Matt Nagy is a good head coach but a bad play caller. Huge difference there because now he can focus on the game. He's not worried about calling plays. He can focus on the whole game. Did anyone see the Ravens game last week? When I think it was, was it a, fumble or an incomplete pass that the refs called one thing John Harbaugh looked up at the video board and saw the replay and threw the challenge flag and got it overturned I really think that Matt Nagy is a solid head coach he's just not a good play caller and that's okay that's common there's nothing wrong with that I'm not going to fault the guy everyone talks about he's this offensive genius offensive guru no one ever said offensive genius or offensive guru at least no one from the Bears did when they hired him Yes, he's a young, up-and-coming coach. Yes, that's where the trend's going. He should be He should be a better play caller. I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not making excuses here. But I think now that he's handed off the play calling, he can see the whole field. Instead of just looking at the play sheet and seeing be you in the corner. Now he can be him. Be you, Matt. Don't worry about the play calling. Just be you, buddy. Maybe he'll actually know how to use a timeout. We'll see. It's just funny to me that all week we've been hearing, oh, I'm, if we do give, if I do give up play calling, I might not tell you guys. And then Friday, he comes out, first thing he says in the press conference, so I handed out play calling. And Dave Kerner, WBBM, tweeted this yesterday. Jimmy Graham had no idea that Bill Lazor's calling plays, by the way. Nagy didn't call a big team meeting to talk about it. He confirmed that, and Jimmy Graham said he had no idea that Nagy wasn't calling plays. So hopefully they get on the same page by tomorrow. Luckily, they're not playing at noon today. 7.20 tomorrow night, Bears-Vikings, Monday night football. Prime time. Again, hopefully the Bears show up this time. I hope they show up looking like an NFL team instead of a Mighty Might team. Actually, that's even being kind, probably like a flag football team in a PE class. And I think they will. 17-14, Bears are going to get back on track. You heard it here first. And we'll have more football talk for you next week. And again, NBA draft talk coming up next week. The draft is on Wednesday. It'll be a few days after, but we're still going to be talking about it all the time. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Hope you're excited. Hope to interact with you on Twitter about it. I'm out of time. Thanks again to David Haw of The Score for taking the time to come on the show I really appreciate it. Check out the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, Google, it'll be there. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask. See you next Sunday. A lot going on this week. I'll be here for all of it. See you then. Have a great week, everybody.